0: would have done. Lord, I pray that um, uh, we, we would leave here, Lord, knowing that uh, you met with us, that you spoke to us, and, and uh, leave here a little different than maybe uh, how we came. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, what well we find there in Genesis chapter number 26, um, you might have noticed this, I don't know if you did, but uh, you find that throughout the entire chapter, Genesis chapter number 26, uh, we, we find this comparison between Abraham and his son Isaac. Uh, the subject of Abraham and what Abraham did and Isaac, and what Isaac did um, comes up a lot throughout the, the, the chapter here. And I believe that there's a spiritual application to the stories that were being told. A lot of these stories in the Old Testament aren't just, you know, a story, just to fill a page, but we can gather some sort of a spiritual application for our lives today. And um, I believe in the application, and and you might see this, you know, as the sermon goes on, but I believe that you can, Abraham and Isaac represent uh, different generations here. Abraham represents the old generation, and Isaac represents the new generation, Isaac being the son of Abraham. And the Bible talks a lot about the subject of, of like, the old generation, and maybe like, uh, you know the new generation taking the torch from the old generation and and keeping in those things of of the Bible and and Christianity and doing right. And I think we can learn a few things from this here, uh, from this story. If you look down at verse number 1, Genesis 26, 1, the Bible says, "...and there was a famine in the land..." Beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. If you've been with us um, on Sunday nights, if we have been preaching through the book of Genesis, you may remember that a famine came to Abraham. And it caused Abraham to make a few dumb decisions. He went down into Egypt, which represented the world. And lied about his wife and did all sorts of things. And the Bible says here that there was a famine in the land. A different famine because it says beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. Now I'd like you to keep your finger there in Genesis 26. because Obviously we're going to be coming back to it. That's our text for tonight. But if you could go with me to the uh, New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And look at verse number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse 13 in the New Testament. I'd like you to see... um, Something in this in this uh, verse here, First Corinthians ten thirteen. Abraham went through a famine, and then the Bible said that there was another famine beside the first famine, but it was similar to the first famine that Isaac went through. And I think the first uh, lesson we could learn from this is that the next generation deals with the same issues as the new generation. The same the, the new uh, the new generation deals with the same issues as the old generation. Abraham dealt with a famine and how he reacted to that famine affected his walk with God and now Isaac is going through a famine in the same way that the old generation went through that famine. And so often today you know, we'll, we'll meet Christians or we'll talk to people and people will say something like I'm going through some sort of a struggle. I'm going through some sort of a trial and, and the lot that, that, that I've been given in my life you know, and, and they'll think like they're the only ones that ever went through that. They'll think that you know, they're the only ones that ever struggled with that issue or ever had that problem or ever had that you know, that, that fight that they had to do. But if you're there in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, you'll see there that the Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. And you know, we as the new generation, we as Christians who are alive today, who are attempting to, you know, go onward for the things of God and fight the battles of God, we ought to, you know, not allow, to get sucked into this idea that when we're going through a uh, struggle or we're going through a trial or we're going through issues or something's going on, you know don't have this idea where you think you're all alone where you think you're the only person who's ever dealt with that where you think, you know, Isaac maybe could have said, oh this famine, you know, uh, no one else has had to deal with this, but his dad had to deal with it, Abraham dealt with it and the Bible says that there is no sensation taken you but such as is common to man so if you've ever done anything someone else has gone through that Ecclesiastes chapter number 1 and verse 9, you don't have to turn there, but it says, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. You know that like the battles that they fought back, you know, that Christians were fighting, uh, you know, a decade ago, or hundred years ago, or five hundred years ago, or a thousand years ago, or two thousand years ago. You know the, the battles that Paul was fighting when he was in his ministry, and he was fighting against work salvation, and he was fighting against adding to the scriptures, and he was at, fighting all these doctrines. You know, the same battles that they're fighting on those days are the same battles that we're going to fight today. You know, and uh, we talked this about. We talked about this on Wednesday night. But the Sadducees, there in the Bible, rejected the resurrection. Well, guess what? Jehovah's Witness re- reject the re- resurrection today. You know, uh, they they didn't believe in angels. Wait, there's people running around today that don't believe in angels. The, the, you know, people think they come up with new ideas and new doctrines and new things. But it just turns out that there's nothing new under the sun. And the battles and the famines and the trials and the struggles that the new generation go through, you can just... Bet on it that the old generation went through it uh, as well. And don't bet anyway, because that's a sin. Let me just say that. But uh, let me read for you this. Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse 15. Hebrews 4.15. You can go back to Genesis 26. I'll read this uh, verse for you. But Hebrews 4.15 says about Jesus Christ, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was in all points tempted, like as we are. So everything you've ever gone through, Jesus went through it. Everything you've ever struggled with, Jesus struggled with. Everything you've ever had to do that is hard, Jesus did it. But the Bible says the difference between us and Jesus is that He did it without sin. And you know, you should find comfort in that, in knowing that you're not the only person who's gone through that. But even if you are the only person, you know, human being who's gone through that, Jesus went through it. The Bible says that He was tempted in all points. You know, He was rejected of those who were supposed to accept Him love He was betrayed by loved ones. And he was lied about. And he, you know, everything you can think, I've gone through this, I've gone through that. Jesus went through it. And there's great uh, uh, just uh, 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 knowledge and knowing that you can go to God and you can go to the Savior with any uh, struggle you have, any trial you have, and know that he is touched by the feelings of our infirmities because he went through it as well. But look at verse number two in Genesis 26, 2. Not only does the next generation deal with the same issues that the new generation deals with. But I want you to see that God is consistent throughout the generations. God is consistent throughout the generations. Genesis 26-2 says, And the Lord appeared unto him, and said, Go not down into Egypt. Now he said that to him because last time his dad went down into Egypt because of famine. He said, Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee, and unto thy seed, I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. Now look at verse number 4. And this might sound familiar to you if you've been reading Genesis, if you've read Genesis before or been with us on, on Sunday nights. But notice what God says to Isaac. He says, And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now there we find what is referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. Because it was given to Abraham the promise of the blessing, you know, that the Messiah would come through through his seed and all that. But now we find God giving the same promise to Isaac. And you know, it's interesting to me. And I'd like you to just go go to Hebrews chapter number 13 uh, in the New Testament. Hebrews 13. But you know, it's interesting to me because uh, so often, through the book of Genesis, and I felt this myself as I've been studying for these sermons, I feel like God is just so, you know consistent in the fact that He just says the same thing, over and over, He's telling Abraham throughout the life of Abraham, that I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and I'm going to send the Messiah through you, and Abraham goes up and down, he has struggles he has, uh, you know, he has Ishmael, with Hagar he has all these different things, but the whole saying the same thing over and over and over. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And then we get into Isaac and guess what? A generation changed but God stayed the same. A generation changed but God is just saying the same thing. He hasn't changed his message at all. And if you look at Hebrews chapter number 13 and verse number 8, the Bible says this, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. I'm here to tell you something. The Bible says that God and Jesus Christ do not change. Malachi 3:6 says this, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. The Bible says, the Lord said, I change not. And we live in a society today, especially with churches who are often trying to find the you know latest new thing and the latest new gimmick. And they're just trying to find the, the new way to do it and the, the new thing we could do. But throughout the generations, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, all the way to in Jesus Christ and even till today the Bible says he, God said I am the Lord I change not.' you know and we ought to be careful as Christians to not be looking for the new you know just gimmick the new way you know the new way we're going to reach the world and just stick with the Bible and stick with the God who doesn't change The Bible says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, and today, and forever. You know, people have this idea. I've heard heard people say this before, you know, my entire life. People say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is angry, and the God of the New Testament is just like Barney or something. He's just loving. He just lets you do whatever you want. He just lets you get away with anything, you know. And the thing is, that's not true. God is just as as, as, as uh, merciful and as loving and as mean in the Old Testament as He is in the New Testament. He never changes, He never has changed the same God. You know, but today we have uh, uh, people glorify change. You know, they'll, they'll shout out the motto, you know, a change you can believe in or something, you know. And the truth is that God doesn't change. And we ought not change. But look at verse number 17 in Genesis 26. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says this, And Isaac departed thence, and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham, And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley, and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Essek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well, and strove for that also, and he called the name of it uh, Sitna. And he removed from thence, and digged another well, and for that they strove not, and he called the name of it Rehoboth, and he said, For now the Lord hath made rooms for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Now go with me, and I would like you to see a passage. Uh, go with me to uh, Jeremiah, in, in, the New, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah uh, you know, one of the major prophets there uh, towards the end of the Bible a big book of Jeremiah chapter number 6 and look at verse number 16 Jeremiah chapter number 6 and look at verse number 16 we find there that Isaac the new generation went out and he found his father who represents the old generation had digged wells but the Philistines who represent the world had stopped them after the death of Abraham And the Bible says that Isaac's servants digged in the valley and they went out and re-dug out those wells. They digged again the wells of water that Abraham, his father, had um, had dug before. And if you look at Jeremiah chapter number 6 and verse number 16, it will teach you a very important concept about our church. Jeremiah 6.16 says this, Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the way, and see, and ask, notice what it says, for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein. And ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. You know, people often ask me this question. Pastor Jimenez, why is it that your church, you know, you started this brand new church. Why is it that you... you Pulpit, and maybe get a, like a glass pulpit, or get like a stool that you can sit at. You know, and people often, you know, they, they compare our church to other churches. They think, why is it that it seems like you're trying to bring back these old things from the past? And the thing is that God said in Jeremiah six sixteen, He said, He said, "Thus saith the Lord, stand you in the way and see." And God said this ask for the old path. But that's exactly what Isaac, who represents the new generation, was doing when he went back. Went back and he said, You know what? I'm gonna redig those wells. I'm gonna remake those wells. I'm gonna bring those wells back. And the Bible says, he even named them by the same name that Abraham had called them. You say, What are you trying to do with Verity Baptist Church? With your music. I'm just trying to redig the old well of godly hymns and Christian music. You think what, what are you trying to do with this type of preaching where you're like screaming and yelling and saying all sorts of controversial? Because there was a day in our country—I don't know if you know this—I I only, I've only read of this in books. I'm not old enough to know it by experience, but I've been told that there was a day in our country when our country was great. And you know when that was? When pastors would stand up behind a wooden pulpit and preach the word of God without being scared of, you know, the person that gives all the money sitting in the back, without being scared of what the media might think and the world might think. But today, that that pastor is gone. Today, in the average church, you will. Find just, you know, just peddling uh, little things here and there, not being very, you know, you know, specific and mean, just kind of vague. Just as to not offend anybody. Just because, you know, he wants to make sure the money keeps rolling in. Just because he wants to make sure that nobody gets mad and leaves. Just because, and people aren't willing to take a stand for the things. I'm just, I, I just want to tell you something. Our country has changed. You know, people think that we're getting, because we changed, we're getting better. But let me tell you something. Back when they kicked God out of the public school, that was a better than the American today. You say, the American, you know, go down to the public school and watch the kids who've been taught evolution, who've been taught that they're inanimate, who've been taught that there is no God that they're accountable to, who've been taught that there's no heaven, there's no hell. And then people wonder, why is it that these kids act like a bunch of animals? Why is it that they walk into school, they shoot up their friends, they're just on drugs, they're just alcohol, they're just, you know, ruining, You say, "Why do you preach like that?" I'm just trying to re-dig that old well. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to go back to that time when there was something old-fashioned, when there was something a little holy. When there, I, I liked it, you know, the type of church you walk into, and it's just different than the world. You know, churches today. You, I, I said this before. You know, you walk into the average church, and it, you, it's like a rock concert. You know, people say, "Why does Joel Osteen have such a?" You know, so many thousand people come to church. Well, look, people go to thousands of people go to rock concerts every day. You know, all over the country. I mean, is that supposed to impress me that he's got thousands of people? He's got a rock concert, and people go to rock concerts. But you walk into church. There's nothing holy. There's nothing sacred. There's nothing different. There's no no one trying to challenge you to be different. There's no one challenging you to to be old fashioned. To be, you say, how old fashioned do we have to be? You know, people have to tell my wife, "You only wear skirts. Isn't that a little old fashioned?" You know, and, and we think, "Praise the Lord." You know, there was a day in our country when ladies dressed like ladies, when men uh, dressed like men, you could see a couple walking down the street holding hands, and it was obvious which was the man and which was the woman, because he had short hair, he had no jewelry on, he had a pair of pants on, the woman had long hair, she was dressed like a lady, she was dressed like, uh, uh, you know, uh, a woman, but today, I mean, I often watch couples walk down the street, and I, I can't tell you which was the man and which was the female. They're wearing the same clothes, they got the same haircut, they got the same jewelry. You say, that's kind of old-fashioned. Well, I know. That's what we need. See, if you look at Jeremiah 6.16, He says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the way, and see, and ask for the old paths, wherein the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. He said, how old-fashioned are you trying to be? Are you trying to be like the 1950s? I'm trying to be like the 1900s. No, look. We're trying to be old-fashioned like God's old-fashioned. We're trying to be old-fashioned like Jesus Christ, old-fashioned. We're trying to be old-fashioned like Jeremiah, old-fashioned. We're trying to be old-fashioned like God Almighty, old-fashioned. And we got to get back to that. And sometimes the new generation needs to just stand up and say, You know what? We're going to dig again some of those old wells and reuse those old wells. We don't need a new well. We don't need a new uh, 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 idea. We don't need way to reach, you know, people think, oh, you get that rock and roll music in that church and you're going to bring all those teenagers in. They're going to love it. What? Why do I want to bring a bunch of teenagers in with rock and roll music? You know, a a pastor said this and it's so true. What you win them with is what you'll win them to. I'm not trying to win them to rock and roll. I'm trying to win them to Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to win them to, to, you know, uh, to lame, soft, you know, non-offensive preaching. I'm trying to win them to this And if you read this King James Bible, you know what? Sometimes you're going to be offended. Sometimes it's going to be not politically correct. Sometimes it's going to go against the grain. But that's what we're trying to win them to. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number 19. And look at verse number 14. I'll show you the devil's plan. He will say, how how did we get to the place we're at today? And we got there very subtly. The Bible says that the devil is subtle. He's smart. And in Deuteronomy chapter number 19, if you look at verse number 14, the Bible says this. Deuteronomy chapter number 19, and verse 14, the Bible says, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land of the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Back in these Bible days, Whenever someone was given an inheritance, when someone was given a land that they possessed, if someone purchased a land, they would mark off the land that they owned by setting what they referred to as a landmark. Now the landmark could have been any number of things, you know, it could have just been a big stone or whatever. But they would set a landmark. You know, if they didn't have like a fence to divide the property, they would have the property there. And they would set a landmark, and, and a person would put like a big stone, maybe like at one corner of their property, and then like a huge stone at the other corner, and then at the other corner, at the corner. And what that would do, that would be a mark of the land. That would be the landmark, and that would show people, this is the property that I have. My property begins here, your property begins there. Now, the problem would be, is that people who were trying to be deceptive, would maybe come out in the middle of the night because they wanted to gain a little more property without having to pay for it, without having to work for it, and they would move the landmark. Now, here's the thing, though. If I own, you know, X amount of land, I mean, my landmark's here,
1: your landmark's there.
0: Or, you know, my property's here, here's the landmark, your property's there. You come out in the middle of the night and move it all the way out, I'm going to notice. You know what I mean? That's going to be noticeable. What these people would do is they would come out maybe one night, and they would take that landmark, and maybe just move it a few inches. And they just go back. And maybe a week later, they come back out, maybe just move it an inch. And maybe like three weeks or four weeks later, or maybe a month later, they come out, and they just slowly move that landmark, so that nobody would notice. And after a certain amount of time, all of a, all of a sudden, your property has increased a lot. And God, it got so bad that God actually made it a law in the nation of Israel to not remove thy neighbor's landmark. And in Christianity, you know that you know the the world didn't just turn around one day, and and all of a sudden we were just having abortions, homosexuals coming out of the closet, and the world just went to hell in a mess. It didn't happen overnight. You know what happened was that the devil he just came up to that landmark, he came up to that well, you know, and, and he didn't just he just move that landmark all just over one night, you know. It, it took. And it took a time, and he would maybe just move it a little bit. And he maybe just move it a little bit. And he maybe just move it a little bit. And he he maybe just move it a little bit. And as time. You know, people don't just wake up and change their lives. You don't just wake up one day and leave your wife. You don't just wake up one day and get on drugs. You know, it happens slowly as you allow the landmark in your heart to move. You say, what, what would they do to solve that problem? Here's what they, what a smart person would do. If they own some property. They set that landmark there for people to see. But when the neighbor wasn't watching, what they do is they dig into the ground and they set a landmark deep in the ground. Buried up and put the, the landmark that we could see on top of it. And if your neighbor moved that landmark, and you started suspecting, uh, you know, man, it just seems like, seems like his property keeps getting, you know, five years from now. I'm pretty sure that that tree used to be on this side, and now it's on that side. And if you started suspecting that something was happening, you know what you could do? You could go back and take out that landmark that was buried, and you'd be able to tell, mm You know, but what happened in Christianity is that our Christianity became so shallow, became so weak, that nobody took convictions from the Bible and buried them down deep in their heart. Nobody took convictions and knowledge from the Bible and buried them down deep in the earth. No one took convictions from the Bible and took Bible doctrine and Bible teaching and carried it back then. And then when the devil came in and he started changing our doctrine, he started changing our standards, he started changing our music, he started our preaching he started changing what we believe nobody even noticed because there's nothing to go back to and at very Baptist church I would love for us to take a landmark and just bury it deep in the ground and be able to say like Isaac I'm going to take that old well and I'm going to dig it back out we're not going to get old we don't need new wells we just need the old wells to be dug back out Say, what's the hope for America? You got some new a system you're going to use, you got some new thing, you're, you got a new book you're going to write. You, you, what, what are you going to do? I, I'm just going to do the same old thing that has worked throughout the ages and just preach the Bible, preach Jesus Christ, yesterday, today, forever. Amen. Sometimes the new generation needs to dig again the wells of water. But if you say there in our passage, often they have to fight. Often they would dig that new well and they'd have to fight for that well. They have to defend that well. It says they digged another well and strove for that also. It says they dig for a well and they have to fight for it, they strove for it. And we gotta be willing to strive and fight. Not only that, but look at Genesis chapter number twenty six, look at verse number twenty three. Genesis chapter number twenty six and verse twenty-three. I want you to see this, this is interesting. Genesis twenty six twenty three, the Bible says, And he went up from thence to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father, fear not, for I am with thee, and will bless thee, and multiply thy seed for my servants Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there, and called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac, Isaac's servants digged a well. And notice there that they dug a Well, Verse 26 through verse 31, it goes into this story. It says, And Abimelech went to him from Gerar and Ahusad, one of his friends, and Syphol, the chief captain of his army. And Isaac said unto them, Wherefore come ye to me, seeing ye hate me, and have sent me away from you? And they said, We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. And we said, Let there... Be now an oath betwixt us, even betwixt us and thee, and let us make a covenant with thee, that thou wilt do us no hurt, as we have not touched thee, and as we have done unto thee nothing but good, and have sent thee away in peace, and thou art now blessed of the Lord. And he made them a feast, and they did eat and drink, and they rose up betimes times in the morning, and swear one to another. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. You notice there, it's a very simple story. They come, he deals with some issues with the people there. They have a huge party, they have a huge feast. They wake up the next day, and they're, you know, they depart in peace and all of that. But if you look at verse number 32, it says, And it came to pass, the same day, the same day that they were doing all this, that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning... Notice what it says. The well which they have dig, And said unto him, We have found water. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm reading this. You've already dug like eight wells. You have this whole huge story. It seems like the whole chapter, you know, just gets into this other story. And as soon as it's done, it's like, hey, by the way, we dug another well. And in verse 33 it says, And he called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. And, you know, and often people will say, You know, you got like a one track mind. You know, you're just always just kind of thinking about like soul winning, getting people saved. You know, don't you ever do something new? You know, don't you ever have a new ministry? Don't you ever have a new way? Don't you, you know, but in the Bible, these guys, it's just the same thing. They had a party with that guy, and the next and the same day the servants are just digging him well. Just digging them well. Just digging it well, and what to God we would not get tired of just doing the same thing, just doing the same thing, knocking on doors, getting people saved, preaching the gospel, preaching the Bible—just the same thing. Digging it well. But not only that. Just real quickly, look look at the story. And I'm not going to take the time to uh, read the entire story. There, we read it at the beginning, but it, it says that when Isaac came into the Philistines to Gerar, he lied about his wife. And if you, if you remember from a few weeks back, we preached about this in Genesis chapter number, I want to say Genesis chapter number 20. But Abraham did the exact same thing to the exact same king. He went into the land of the Philistines to the same king, lied about his wife being, his, he said his wife was his sister. And the king actually took Sarah and wanted to marry her. If you remember, God plagued the, the people there of the land of Gerar and, and he would, the Bible says he closed their womb as a punishment. You know, and Abraham had to confess and say, okay, you know, she is my sister technically, but she also, she's my wife, you know. And he lied about it. And it's funny because in Genesis 26, you find Isaac doing the exact same thing at the exact same place with the exact same king. And he lied about his wife, being his sister because she was fair to look upon and the Bible says in verse number 8 and it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech king of the Philistines looked out a window and saw and behold Isaac was sporting with Rebekah his wife I mean can you imagine this king just looking out a window and he's watching Isaac you know how you know married couple someday they'll be like fighting or just joking around just kind of wrestling or sporting you know and this king's right thinking so man these, these siblings are kind of close you know and it's getting a little awkward, and then he just realizes, wait a minute, this isn't his sister. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's probably just like holding her and pulling her down, He'll just playing with her or whatever, you know? And he's probably thinking to himself, wait a minute. You know, sometimes the new generation makes the same mistakes that the old generation makes. Abraham lied about his wife to the king of the Philistines. And Isaac lied about his wife to the same king. Made the same mistake. I don't even believe that Isaac knew that Abraham did that. I, I couldn't imagine that Abraham would have told Isaac, "Yeah, there was this one time we were down with the king of the Philistines. I lied about my about your mom, and she almost got married to this other guy." And you know, I don't think that's something Abraham would have told Isaac, especially since Isaac did the same thing with the same guy. You know. And often we make the same mistakes as the last generation. And if you go with me, just uh, this is the last place I'll have you turn to. But go to Acts chapter number 17. And look at verse number 11. Acts chapter number 17 and verse number 11. At our church, I have a motto when it comes to our belief system. Because as much as I love the old generation. The old wells. The old landmarks as much as I respect the old wells, the old landmarks, that old generation, as much as I'm proud to be, you know, a Baptist, as much as I'm proud to be part of that heritage of those people, you know, I still have this idea that I'd like to question everything. I don't, you know, just, well, this is how the Baptists have done it throughout the generations. You know, I, 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 I try to stay away from that as possible. And if you look at Acts chapter number 17 and verse number 11, the Bible says there was, Paul was preaching, he's going on his missionary journeys. he's talking about a specific church here, and it says these, talking about the, the church in Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. So when Paul would preach to them, they received the word. They didn't have a bad attitude, they had it with all readiness of mind, they wanted to learn from the Bible, but look what it says, and search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. You know, we ought to question everything. We got to just find our answers from the Bible. in our church, I try with every, you know, part of my being, I try to just, whenever there's a question as to how we're going to do something or why we're going to do something or if we're going to do something, to find the answer in the Bible. Because we ought to be careful to not, you know, just because it's part of tradition, because it's part of how it's always been done, to just accept it. We ought to just question things and get our answers from the Bible. Isaac should not have just gone with what maybe he thought was the right thing to do. He should have found out from God, God, what do you want me to do? And that's what we ought to do. But you know, at, at Verity Baptist church, I think this story might teach you a little bit about the method of our church, or the, the reason we do things. At, at church, we're trying to just dig that old well. We're just trying to look back at that old web. You know, when we preach against abortion, and we talk about it being murder, and it's not a choice, and that's a human being, and it, and it is wrong to abort a child, because that's a human being with a soul. You say, why do you say that? Don't you know? We're just trying to get back to that old time. To the way it used to be. When people knew that that was a human being, not some sort of a, uh, you know, embryo, or whatever they call it. When, when we preach against the queers, and we preach against, you know, the, just, just the way that our society has gone, we're doing it to get back to that old-fashioned way. Those old wells. That's what we're trying to get to. Because that's what God wants us to get to. The world wants to slowly move us, move us, move us. And here's where we get into trouble when we compare ourselves by the world. If we look at the world today, in 2011, and say, well look, the world's music is all the way over there, and our music is over here, you know, we're fine. But if you go, you know, it, it, the idea is, the world is constantly getting worse. And if we're just comparing ourselves to how far away we are from the world, well the further they go, the further we'll go. You understand what I'm saying? Let me explain to you. There was a time in this country when pastors would preach against Elvis Presley. Can you believe that? I mean, they would talk about that guy is wicked. You are not letting your kids listen to. Him. But today, that's the golden old piece. See, the world has no standard. They have no. They have no rule. Back then, that was wicked. But today, compared to the garbage they have on the radio today, man, Elvis Presley's like an independent fundamental Baptist. I mean, good night. He's like. He's like you know. He's like the third person of the Trinity, I mean, compared to, you know, the garbage they listen to today. But that's why we can't let the world be our standard. We can't just say, you know, okay, I'm this far away from the world. Because when the world gets worse, guess what? If I start here, and the world is here, and I say I'm this far away from the world...